Thank you very much. Um, thank you for the songs we've had tonight. Fantastic. After that first song about grace, I thought, Lord, is you sure this is the message I need to preach? Because there's another uh, message that I am uh, very partial to that's uh, pertaining to grace. The tremendous uh, messages of song. Um, Wednesday night. We joined right here at Southwest, came back, and I know some folks came up and shook our hand and said, welcome back, and that type of thing. And I um, then got to hear a good message this morning. Now, as a member of the church, uh, coming to uh, church on Sunday, it's always good if you join to come back, you know. So came back uh, this morning and heard a great message, and then I thought, I want to be one of those all-in members at the church. So I decided that um, I'm going to follow my pastor's lead. I'm declaring... I am not a bald man. <laughs> I am a man with a full head of hair, wavy and red. Okay? So just to inform you, let you know that. I want to thank Brother Gaddis uh, for the opportunity. Thank you very much for the uh, opportunity to preach. And I want to thank each one of you for coming out. And this morning he announced that he wasn't going to be preaching and you still showed up. So thank the Lord for that. I'm glad that you were willing to uh, do that. Southwest has had a uh, special place in the life, as has been mentioned in the introduction there, in um, our family's life. Uh, my wife grew up right here at Southwest and in the little building that was right over here on the corner. Some of you uh, remember that. And then all the way through uh, this auditorium here. And uh, she was saved here and baptized here. And praise the Lord for that. And, and we met here uh, at Southwest right over there. Right over that area, about the 10th, 12th row, somewhere in there uh, is where we met. And I was going to the University of Oklahoma right then. I was uh, planning on being an attorney, and uh, I was uh, completing a degree in sociology, criminology. And uh, I remember the first thing that Donna said to me was, what on earth are you going to do with that? <laughs> you know? We got married in 1994, same year that I graduated from OU. We got married right here in this auditorium. Uh, Southwest has meant a lot to us. Right over here. Sorry. About the 10th or 12th row. I was sitting through a church service. Had my plans. I was going to be a prosecuting attorney. A good one. A Christian one. And uh, God got a hold of my heart. He got a hold of my heart in such a way that uh, I realized... I could do that, and I could do it well, and I could do it as a good Christian, but it wasn't what God wanted for me. So surrendered uh, to be a preacher of the gospel, and we left and went to Bible college and uh, ended up going on deputation after Bible college uh, to go to Venezuela. And in 1999, toward the latter part of that year, right here in this auditorium, there was a commissioning service, a sending service that took place for my wife and I uh, to head out as missionaries. Southwest has had a special place in our heart. Great influence. You know why? People have, the people have changed. I mean, there's some that are still here from way back uh, in 1994. But what has not changed is God at work in people's hearts. And I got to see that again and again and again. And in my life also. I want to say this just as a thank you before we get into the message. There are many that are still here that prayed for, I think my son Caleb was on the prayer list here for about five years. 
Uh, he was born with cerebral palsy. And uh, they said he'd never get out of bed, he'd never walk, he'd never talk, never recognize anybody. And many of you prayed. Prayer truly has power because of who it is that we talk to when we pray. There's a young boy, 19 years old now, sitting right back there, listening to this message. Hopefully he's listening. Hopefully he's not planning a youth rally or something like that like he likes to do. But here's the great part. He is a child of God and accepted Christ as his Savior when he was seven years old. Not under my preaching, but under the evangelist that we had come in for the revival. Um, but I thank the Lord for it. Southwest has a special place in our heart. Not because the people are unusual. Well, they might be some. But, because this is a place that God can work. If we'll sit here during a service and we will listen and say, God, what do you want to say to me? I guarantee he'll say something to us. He'll talk to us. So, enough with that. Um, let's get to some preaching. Okay? You didn't come here to hear a story about what happened in my life. You came here to hear the story. What happened pertaining to uh, God sending His Son for us. So if you have a Bible, take your Bible out. Let's stand together. We're going to go to Luke chapter number 5. Luke chapter number 5. We're going to read Luke chapter number 5 starting... Verse number one, probably a familiar passage of Scripture to some, but hopefully uh, we can uh, grab some great truths from this. And hopefully if we have heard it before, uh, we won't set it aside because of that. You understand what I'm saying? We've heard that before. You, you realize preaching in God's Word really is not, uh, when Paul preached, he didn't invent something new. He preached what was already there, what was already available. Uh, that's what most of preaching is, is preaching what most of us have already heard before, if you've been in church for any length of time. But it's us opening our hearts and saying, God, I expect you to speak to me and I'm going to listen. I'm going to give attention. So let's read starting verse number one. The Bible says this. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them. And were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. They beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was astonished, all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. 
And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's pray and then you can be seated. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word and how you truly can speak to our hearts. I pray that that would be our desire. We'd set aside whatever other concern might be filling our mind at the moment, and we would truly want to hear from you. Let your word speak, please, Lord. Help us to listen. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Can be seated. Thank you so much. I think Luke, out of all the Gospels, is probably my favorite because of the personal connection that is there. So many times the Lord is dealing with individuals that many of them are quite different from each other, but he was dealing with them not as a mass group or as a large multitude only, but dealing with them personally. Whatever their education was, whatever their upbringing had been, uh, if they were wealthy or poor, he was dealing with them and what he could truly do in their life. And that's what we find in this passage of Scripture. We find him personally dealing with Simon. Yes, there's a multitude included also, but him personally dealing with him. Now, you know, words have tremendous action, don't they? And the ability to change direction or the course or the behavior in situations. A small number of words can truly have a great impact to encourage somebody. It doesn't take us... Uh, saying, you know, 500 words to an individual to attempt to encourage them. But sometimes it's a small uh, attachment of something that can encourage a heart. But at the same time, it doesn't take much to discourage somebody either. It doesn't take much to take away from that which can inspire a person or that which can demoralize a person. Now, think about this. One word can change everything, can't it? I mean, if my wife came to me and said, um, how do I look today? Okay. And I said, you look great today. Her response might be, well, how did I look yesterday? Or how did I look last week? Are you saying that only today I look good? Or imagine you were in a fight with a friend. Okay. You guys are arguing, bickering, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Nobody's giving in at all. You just keep at each other. And finally, one person says, okay, enough's enough. This has gone far enough. I am so sorry that you are wrong. <laughs> that last little bit, if they would have left it off, it might have helped the situation. But when they added that little bit, it completely uh, changed the direction of what was going to occur. So let me ask, what words determine our decisions? What words determine what we're going to do in any given situation? What words determine what you're going to do for the rest of 2021? Now help me here, okay? Don't make this more complicated than it is, okay? What do fishermen do? Fish, all right, good, 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 good. Help me this. What do singers do? We heard a couple specials this morning, or this evening. What do singers do? Sing, okay, good, got it. What do teachers do? Teach. What do welders do? Weld. Um, what do politicians do? Okay, you get to pick that one, all right? doesn't quite fit with exactly what we were saying before. 
But back to what we said first. What do fishermen do? They don't cast. Okay, you know what I'm getting at? They don't go out there for the purpose of being better casters. They don't go out there for the purpose of, I need a good workout, so I'm going to go out casting. But in our account, that's all Peter did the entire night. He intended to go fishing, but all he really did was just cast. He caught nothing, brought nothing back. The passage, though, get this, isn't about, even though it's much of this is included, isn't about fishing. It's about Peter actually going after what Jesus Christ himself wants. Sometimes we call it the will of God. I remember teaching a lesson one time, and there, were, there was a young man that uh, uh, he had just gotten saved, just started coming to uh, the uh, class that I was teaching. And I taught a lesson on the will of God. And in the lesson, he, he was very attentive. And toward the end of it, he came up to me and he said, Now, when you're talking about the will of God, are you talking about like the will that's written out when uh, uh, like grandma dies or something like that? That's all he had heard it as. And I never even thought, he doesn't, he's not even aware what uh, we're talking about pertaining to want uh, or the desire of God. But that's what we, so quickly we know, I know the will of God, or I think I know the will of God, or the, but basically this, it's the want of God. How many times do we pray for what does God want? And I wonder how many times God is saying, I've already showed you what I want in the given situation. And we're not quite doing it. <laughs> we're not carrying through with what has already been shown to us. I can say, God, where do you want me to go in five years? Or where do you want me to go next year? Or how do you want to use my life in the next ten years? But if I won't even show up to church regularly, and I won't even read God's Word regularly, and I won't even pray and be concerned about others instead of just myself, then how on earth am I going to expect God show me some greater will if He's already showed me and I'm saying, hmm, I don't know that I can do that yet. In this passage, what we have is the Lord, Jesus Christ, showing forward to Simon what his want is. Now, in the context, we of course have uh, Jesus Christ being there at the Lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, um, not like Lake Hefner. Okay, are we clear on that? Okay, it's like 13.05 miles long. It's like 8.07 miles wide. One person compared it to the size of Washington, D.C. That's a good-sized place. Okay, so Jesus Christ was coming there and as he was arriving, he saw these two boats and he saw the fishermen that were there. Uh, they were not out in the boats, but they were taking care of their nets. They were cleaning their nets. They were mending their nets. They were making sure that uh, things were getting prepared for the next night of fishing. And he goes up to Simon specifically uh, there were two boats, but he goes up to Simon specifically and he asks him a question. We have that question posed for us right there in the passage where he says, and he entered into, verse number three, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. So what we have is Jesus Christ ask. Okay, pause, not the point of the message. I think way too often we get too filled with our own self and we demand things of people. Okay. 
uh, we expect it. Instead of asking somebody to help us, we say, hey, do this, do this. And here's the thing. People in ministry can really do that in a rough way. We need, Jesus Christ asked. He prayed him. Prayed Simon uh, cast out or uh, if he would take out the ship, the boat, uh, just a little ways. Okay, so just carry, uh, take the boat out just a small amount of distance. Now, think about this. It was Simon's boat. It was where he normally worked. It's what he had just been out in in the previous night. And we know that Jesus Christ had a plan of what he was going to be doing with this boat. And Simon was there, picture it, mending the nets, um, uh, cleaning the nets. He didn't just do that for fun. He did that because they'd gotten torn up in some way. They needed to be cleaned in some way. It's not like he was saying, oh, fish like clean nets more, more than they like dirty nets. No, he was actually trying to clean it up so he could do some work the next day. And Jesus Christ comes to him and asks him to push the boat out, send the boat out just a short distance. Now, think about this. Simon had to be tired at this point. It was in the morning, right? Okay, so he had been fishing all night. Or that's what he tried to do, and actually he was casting all night. Okay, he got an extreme workout. If you've ever gone and worked out to the point to where I used to work out a lot when I was in high school and playing football and all that kind of stuff, and you can get to the point to where you're totally exhausted. You can barely stand up. That's how he went through the whole night casting this net these nets out into the, the, the lake, into the sea, and then drawing them back in in order to try to bring some fish in. And he did that again and again and again and again and again and again for the entire night. At one point, you would think, okay, if I'm on hour seven of doing this, and all I have had come in are some limbs and uh, some bushes and uh, some junk that was out there, I think I might quit. But you, what you have is Simon didn't. He continued to do the job thinking that he was going to catch some fish. But then he comes in having his nets torn up, having his nets be, needing to be cleaned and prepared for the next time. And that's where Jesus encounters him. Now, when I say that, this was not the first time that Jesus had encountered him, correct? We're aware of that, right? If you just back up chapter number four, you're very aware of that, uh, that Jesus Christ had healed Simon's mother-in-law already. Jesus Christ had come in contact with uh, Simon previously. If you remember when Andrew brought Simon to Jesus Christ after uh, John the Baptist had said, behold the Lamb of God, and what do you have? You have Andrew then going to his brother Simon and saying, come and see this one who is the Messiah. Simon showed up. And what took place? He had a conversation. He had some time with Jesus Christ, enough to where Christ felt fully comfortable going into Simon's house in chapter number four and then healing his mother-in-law. So Simon had already been listening to some of the teaching, some of the preaching, some of the in instruction that Jesus Christ had given. And now Jesus Christ is asking him to do something. So there have been previous encounters that had had an impact upon him. This isn't the first time that, well, I'm just hearing this and now I'm going to, yep, you bet, I'll do this. But what Jesus Christ asked was for him to push the boat out a little bit. Now help me here. If he was cleaning the nets, he was tired, he was hungry, he was exhausted, he wanted to go home. That's what you normally want to do if you work in the night shift. Uh, you're wanting to go home and get those things taken care of. If that was his condition and Jesus Christ asked, push the boat out a little bit, how difficult was that going to be on Simon? 
Okay? With that question. You know, it wasn't going to require a whole lot on his part in order for him to do that. Just push the boat out a little bit. You know what he could do? He could push the boat out a little bit. Jesus Christ was going to get in the boat, sit down. He was going to teach uh, the multitude that had come up there, and they were going to be on the shoreline, and he was going to be sitting in the boat. And Simon could very easily just kept mending his nets and listened. Right? Okay. He could very easily have said, hey, that, this isn't too difficult on me. I can sit down. I can listen a little bit. And, uh, oh, I might doze off occasionally, but it's not that big of a deal. It's not required a whole lot of me. And so, yes, I will do this. He said yes. He said to this little bit of obedience, he said yes, because it didn't require a whole lot of effort. Didn't require a whole lot on his part. Now, he immediately said yes. That's, that's fantastic. That's wonderful that he did that. And I think we have to be careful to not beat Simon up a whole lot because this is something minor that he said yes to. Here's what I mean. I wonder how many times the Lord asks us something minor that doesn't require a whole lot of us. And instead of us saying yes, we push it off. We say, I don't have time. You know, well, I'm a member here. I'm going to come back. So if you do get mad at me, then that might happen. If I was just the guest preacher, I could probably say just about anything. But <laughs> Take this right. You know, sitting right here listening doesn't really require a whole lot of us. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you can be willing to come to church, willing to sit in a pew and give attention to a message. You could even take Simon approach and say, oh, I can focus on something else. Maybe also like maybe possibly mending the net or um, using my phone, making my list of groceries, uh, whatever you want to do in that. It doesn't require a whole lot to come and sit here and listen. We could even maybe even doze off a little. <laughs> Anybody ever done that in church? Anybody? Any of these guys up here ever doze off? That's why they have to sit up here, right? <laughs> no, I mean, we could do it that We could do that. It wouldn't require a whole lot. I mean, honestly, for us to pick up our Bible and read a little bit and spend some time with the Lord really does not require a whole lot of us. I mean, it's preached about a lot, isn't it? It's preached about how much we need that and how that's basic Christianity. But honestly, it does not require a whole lot of us to pick up our Bible and to read a couple chapters of what God wants to say to us. But, well, preacher, it's so hard when I get over to this, you know, to Leviticus, or I get over to Numbers, and we heard a little bit about that in a message recently. It gets tough. And yes, I understand that part, but it's really not that difficult. <sighs> to pray. It's not that tough. We make it super tough, don't we? Because we don't want to take time to do it. But it, honestly, it, it's not like you have to climb a mountain while you're praying. It's not like you have to exert yourself greatly and you're going to come out so exhausted that you cannot survive hardly when you're praying. Oh, now we should be fervent in our prayer and all of that. But I also understand that when we are praying and talking to the Lord about something... It doesn't require a lot of us, except. 
it's easy to pray, Lord, help me with this, help me with that, give me this, give me that, all that kind of stuff. But you know one of the greatest problems we have is actually praying where it puts us in dependence upon God. Where we become dependent upon Him that even if this doesn't go the way I want it to go, I'm still going to trust you, Lord. I'm still going to rely upon you, Lord. I remember when my son was born and spent all, the, all that time in the NIC unit and them saying he's probably going to die and all of that that was taking place. Oh, I prayed a bunch. But I honestly, I wanted him to be completely healed and I wanted to walk out of the hospital with a completely healthy baby that was going to turn into a boy that I could play football with and I could play basketball with and I could do all the things that I had anticipated being able to do. That's what I wanted. And I remember lots of people gave lots of advice, lots of help. And I appreciate every one of them. And then one person said, as your days are, so shall thy strength be. They didn't say, let me tell you how to do this and what's the best way to hear. Let me tell you about when I went through an experience like this or my aunt had a child that went through that. They didn't try that. What they said is simply this. God knows what you're dealing with. Take it to him and he'll give you strength to deal with it no matter what is taking place. Amen. And I had to choose. I had to make a decision. The decision had to be, God, am I going to depend upon you or am I going to want what Chuck wants? When I had to decide, God, you've called me into the gospel ministry. Do I want to do what Chuck wants? Or do I truly want to depend upon you that you know best? But seriously, it's not that difficult for us to depend upon the one who made us. The one who created the universe. But oftentimes we don't. Simon right here. Willingly obeyed when it didn't require a whole lot of him. Now, this little bit of obedience that we see from Simon actually set the stage. Because what you have is Jesus Christ, notice the passage, verse number 3, he says, push out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So he taught for a while, who knows how long, we're not sure about that. But he taught for a while, Simon listened, he heard, uh, all of that took place with him. But in verse number four, now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, now get this. So I'm talking to this group of people. Let's say Simon's standing right over here. I'm talking like Jesus Christ was teaching the multitude from the ship. And then when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, now would this be strange if I was going to talk to Brother Gaddis and I was over here and I was talking to you and then I said, uh, Brother Gaddis, I want to tell you, that would be odd because I'm not actually talking to him, I'm looking this direction. So what you have is Simon was speaking to the multitude, he, or Jesus Christ was speaking to the multitude and Simon was present and then Jesus Christ stops speaking to the multitude and he says to Simon, Personal. Personal interaction that was taking place. And he says to Simon, notice the passage of Scripture, launch out into the deep and let down the net. See it there? Let down the net. Or uh, let's see, uh, where are we at there? He says, verse number four, 
launch out into the deep and let down the nets for a draught. So he says to Simon, Simon, I'm going to ask something else of you. I'm going to ask you to take the boat out a little bit farther. And I'm going to ask you to drop the nets. And we're going to catch some fish. He doesn't say, let's go on a day adventure and see if we can catch some fish. He doesn't say, let's go throw out the nets and let's see if we can bring some in. No, there was no question what was going to happen. Jesus Christ said, Simon, I'm going to ask you to push the boat out into the deep water, to launch out into uh, the deep water there, and then do what? Let down the nets for a draught, for a number of fish. Now here's where the situation gets a little, more, a little bit uh, strenuous. Because what we have is Simon had already listened a little bit. He'd already said yes a little bit. It didn't require a whole lot on his part um, to do what had previously been asked of him, but he had been willing to do it. But at least he had said yes already. Now sometimes we won't listen enough to even be able to say yes. But he did. Now Jesus Christ is asking something much greater of him that's going to require uh, much more effort on his part. And Simon is faced with a decision. He's faced with an opportunity of what will his decisions be based on? What will determine what he's going to do? So when Jesus Christ is asking him to take the boat out, he wasn't asking him to go out and do more casting like he had just done the night before. But Simon had to have that going through his mind. Matter of fact, we have the first phrase that Simon, how Simon responds that tells us that's exactly what was going through his mind. What was going through his mind is we've already done this. (laughs) We've toiled all night. We haven't caught anything. We haven't taken anything. (laughs) In essence, (laughs) I've tried this. (laughs) It doesn't work. Jesus Christ was saying, push the boat out a little bit. And let down the nets. It wasn't like Simon was thinking, okay, great. We're going to go out there and we're just going to kind of splash the nets into the water a little bit and let's see what happens. No, he was thinking, oh man, I just finished up working all night. Now I got to go back out. You know, people don't go fishing during the day in this area, but I have to go back out and do it again. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Wouldn't you have been there? We say, oh, Peter didn't do that. Simon didn't do that. Oh, come on. Simon wasn't superhuman. He didn't have an S on his uh, chest showing himself to be Superman when it came to being a believer or a follower of the Lord. Yes, he was already a follower of the Lord. The Lord had already come to his house, already healed his mother-in-law. There were already, already many blessings that had come to Simon because of Jesus Christ at this point. But he was faced with the decision. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to cast the net out again? Now, pause with me. Um, anybody here a real good cook? Raise your hand if you know how to cook, you know how to bake or anything like that. Anybody like that? You know how to cook pretty good? Okay, you know how to cook pretty good. I see a few hands around. Let's just imagine that you are a great baker. Anybody like sour uh, uh, cream, blueberry pie? Marie Callender's used to have a wonderful one. But anybody like that kind of pie? I mean, it's good. If you like blueberries, it's, a most, it's, it's the best blueberry pie that a person can have. But imagine that that's the kind of pie you make. 
And there's some gathering that takes place. Maybe it's at church, maybe it's at work, maybe it's a ladies gathering, a group gathering of a class, something like that. And everybody's supposed to bring something. And you bring your famous sour cream blueberry pie. And you have it right there. And here's the thing. Everybody requests that when desserts are being brought, that you always bring your sour cream blueberry pie because everybody loves it. You know, some people, they go home with, you know, some stuff left in their pan. That's me when I take something to a fellowship. Uh, but you always go home with an empty pan. Matter of fact, uh, somebody's licked the pan for you. It's totally clean because they like it so much. Everybody requests your pie. They don't get a piece. They say, oh, would you make that for my birthday? Or would you make that for some special time? So you're known as a good baker. Now, imagine there's another person that's in the class or in the group. And they always come to the gatherings. And they stop by Aldi. And they pick up a package of Aldi uh, sugar cookies. And they bring those. I mean, we might like sugar cookies. But they bring those in the package. And that's what they regularly bring to the gatherings. Somebody asked them why they always bring that. And they say, oh, well, I don't really cook much. And so you show up with your pie. Lots of people are eating it. And this person comes up to you and says, um, your pie is pretty good. But you know what would make it even better? <laughs> Let me tell you my secret. That could really, if you implement it, it could really help your pie. Now, if you were the master pie maker, how would you respond? How would you respond? Who do you think you are? <laughs> Everybody knows what you brought. Cookies from Aldi. I had 48 people request my pie. I'm not going to take your advice. How's it going to help? I wonder what Simon was thinking. No, stick with me here. What do fishermen do? Fish. What was Simon used to doing? Fishing. He was used to fishing and catching fish and feeding his family with those fish and selling some of those fish to be able to pay his other bills. Uh, he was a fisherman by trade. He knew what he was doing. We could say it this way. He was an expert at it, and he had a pretty good resume of times when he had caught a good number of fish on previous occasions. He didn't need advice on how to do it. But in Peter's mind... Think about it. He's human. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. I've just been out fishing the whole night. I haven't caught anything. And this person who's not a fisherman is saying, let's go out again in a time when people don't fish. And let's cast the nets out again, even though we are exhausted from this. And you're going to catch a bunch of fish. Huh. Right. What would we have thought? Come on, we're not that much better, are we? Oh, I would have said, but it's God in the flesh that's telling me to do this, so I'm willing. <sighs> Seriously? I think we relate tremendously to Simon. 
I do. Foot in the mouth. This one, this one, both of them. See if you can put them both in your mouth at the same time. Uh -huh, I can do that. Peter did that. Uh, Simon was good at that. We would not have done anything different. But here's what takes place. This is amazing. This is fantastic. Oh, now we're getting good. All that was to build up to this. Okay. Simon says, we have fished all night and have taken nothing. That's his attitude. That's his demeanor. That's his spirit. That's everything showing forward. Him saying, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> I've already tried it. No success. Matter of fact, not only am I tired, not only am I hungry, but I feel like a failure after last night. I didn't catch anything. Tried it. I'm glad the verse doesn't stop there. The passage continues, and this is where the passage actually, the whole thing is leading. Nevertheless, nevertheless, at thy word we will let down the nets. Is that what Simon did? Yes, Lord. Nevertheless, at thy word we will let down the nets. You think that's what he did? Here's what I think he did. We've toiled all night and have taken nothing. <sighs> Nevertheless, it's your word, we'll do it. I don't think there was any champion feeling going on in him, reaching down for it and letting it come out at that moment. <laughs> I don't think that was taking place. There was a failure that was saying, this isn't going to work. They came to a conclusion of, well, let's try it anyhow. Super faith. Joke, okay? Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't super faith. There wasn't this faith to move a mountain that was taking place in Simon at this moment. There was some, okay. <laughs> Previously, when it didn't require much, he said, yes. Yep, exactly. Let's go do it. This time when it required a little bit, when it required more, when it required some effort, when it required something he wasn't comfortable with, when it required something that was going to make him have to actually work at it, what was the result? Nevertheless, at thy word, we'll let down the nets. Now, side note. Jesus Christ had said, you're going to catch fish. He said that was going to take place. So there was a promise there. So Simon says, nevertheless, that word will lit on the nets. He, he, he then gets in the boat and they push out and they go out into the deep, go out into the middle of the lake. And, um, we know the rest of the story. I don't have to go into great detail about it, but uh, just a little bit. Okay. So he lets down the net. And what happens? We know. He starts to, lets down, everything's normal. Starts to pull it in and it's extremely heavy. <laughs> he pulls it in and there are fish. Galore coming in. He pulls it in. And get, this, get the account of the scripture. He pulls it into the boat. He's pulling the fish into the boat. I mean, just imagine being in the boat. There are fish flopping all over the place. I mean, they are everywhere. He pulls it in. It's like the biggest catch in one net that he's ever received. But he had put out a couple nets. 
And then he brings a fish in, and there's more fish, and there's more fish. And I mean, they're flopping all over the place. I mean, there's fish this big, there's fish this big, there's fish this big. I mean, there's just lots and lots and lots and lots of fish. And so he catches all these fish into the boat to the point to where the boat begins to sink. Here, put yourself in the, in the account, in the story. You know what my concern would have been? My boat's sinking. <laughs> you know, if you don't put the plug in it, it sinks. You know, but he put too many fish in, and so it started to sink. But that wasn't his concern. He said, hey, buddies, come over here. Let's sink your boats too, okay? He calls them over, and they start filling it up. You know why? What we have Simon doing is he is looking at the very fact. Get my other handkerchief out, okay? <sighs> Sometimes I need a towel. Um, he was looking at the fact that he was catching fish. What do fishermen do? They fish. That's what he was doing, <laughs> And he was elated with it. He was thrilled with it. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. He was catching fish like he'd never caught before. Both boats began to sink. I could just imagine Simon. Can you not imagine it? If you, know, if you enjoy fishing, I mean, this was an event to, that caused all other events to pale in comparison. He brought all these fish in. Look at it. Look at this. Both sinking, but who cares? Look how many fish I'm getting. I'm going to be so rich. I'm going to sell so many of these fish. We're going to take care of business. Those bills that I've kind of built up a little bit, and they're going to get paid off. This is fantastic. Man, I've got a story to tell when I get back to the market. This could be wonderful. People tell lots of fish stories, you know. They tell a lot of stories. Normally, it's lying and that kind of stuff, and they exaggerate and all this. But I'm going to have to say this. i got a fish story to tell you, but I'm not lying. I'm not lying at all. This is a real account. This is really what happened. This is truly what took place. We caught so many fish. They were flopping all over the place. There were all kinds of fish in there. There were some bluegill. There were some uh, crappie. There were some catfish. There were, there were these great big fish I'd never seen before, but we caught fish. Both boats started to sink. It's true. It's true. I'm not lying. It's true. Both boats started to sink. I mean, that was going to be a great story that he was going to get to tell. So, he was excited. He was thrilled with it. All of that taking place. Notice back in our passage of Scripture. We're down to verse number 8. Actually, we just finished verse number 7. It says, And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. Verse number 8, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Fish. Fish. This is fantastic. Fish. Fish everywhere. Oh, this is great. This one, I've never caught fish like this before. I've gone out to that same area and we never caught fish like this. This is fantastic. This wonderful. I'm going to tell so many people about this. Uh, or, yes, or we, we're going to keep our boats from sinking, hopefully. Uh, but if they do, I'll just buy another one because I've got lots of fish. All these reasons that were going through him, his mind, just like anybody else would be dealing with. And then I wonder how long he paused. I wonder how long Simon... The fish were great, even enough to where he called his friends over, their boats possibly sinking. You think it was just a few seconds of pause? You think it was a minute or two of pause? Something happened. Dong. 
a light bulb went off in his head. I've never caught fish like this before. Nothing like this has ever happened in my life. I've gone out in the water before. I've gone out in these same boats before. I've thrown out the same nets before. I brought in fish before. Sometimes I've really failed at it, like last night. I've never seen this happen. What's the difference? Oh, Lord. And he, we don't do this enough, guys. It's like not appropriate. He fell down on his face before the Lord. Brother Gaddis sat down on the platform this morning demonstrating how Jesus Christ was sitting at a table. But honestly, what would you do if there was somebody in the audience that laid out on the ground and said, God, I need you. <gasps> They're not supposed to do that. What if somebody came to this altar and instead of they actually did this. You can't even see me any longer. What if there were like 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 people that laid out before the Lord and said, it doesn't matter what somebody might think of me at this moment. I'm recognizing He's the King. He's the one in charge. He's the one that makes a difference. I've lived my life and I've seen some good things, but I've never seen anything like what He can do in my life. I don't deserve it. What Simon stopped doing was he stopped looking at the blessing and he started looking at the one that gave him the blessing and it changed his life. It revitalized him. It gave him a desire to recognize I don't deserve a thing from him, but I thank the Lord that he gave it to me. I thank the Lord that he has blessed me. Amen. I'm unworthy. Sometimes we're just excited about the blessing. We don't ever come to the place to actually real fellowship. Real fellowship was, Lord, I don't deserve a thing from you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Simon calls out and says, Lord, depart from me. I don't deserve you. He was astonished. The others were astonished. Jesus said in verse number 10, Fear not. Why would he say that? Because Simon had just come to a place where he made a nevertheless decision. He'd just come to a place where he trusted even though he didn't know, didn't even possibly agree. Simon had just come to a place to where he fully humbled himself before the Lord and recognized, you're, you're more. Not just more than me, you're more. You're greater. And the Lord says, fear not. I imagine because there was some fear in Simon's heart. There were some things he was thinking about. He says, fear not. Get this, this is great. From henceforth, thou shalt catch men. 
Okay, stick with me, please. He doesn't say, Simon, fear not. From henceforth, I want you to try to be a better follower of me. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, fear not, henceforth, from henceforth, I want you to try to win some people unto me. That's not what he says. Come on, keep the Bible in context, literal interpretation of what the Scripture actually says. He says, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Where Peter, where Simon was at that point, if he continued in that direction, there was no question about whether or not he was going to reach out to people and people were going to be drawn to the Savior from his life. It was going to happen. As much as they had, as Jesus Christ had said, go out into the water, let down the nets, and we're going to catch a bunch of fish. He had just seen that take place. Now Jesus Christ is giving another promise, saying, you're nevertheless decision time. If you continue living that, fear not. That's what he's saying, fear not. From henceforth, thou shalt catch men. From henceforth, there are going to be people drawn to me, Jesus Christ, drawn to Jesus Christ because of the choice that you're making. And Simon, as the last verse there, verse number 11 says, And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So what we have is Peter saw the fish. And then Peter started, Simon started seeing Jesus instead of the fish. And then Simon began to see himself in relation to who Jesus was. Not in relation to what Jesus could give him in the fish. And his fish story changed. It was no longer, can't wait. Can't wait to get back to see people and tell them, you won't believe how many fish we caught. Like, ah, fish are great. <laughs> but they're not that important. I've got a God story to tell you. I've got a Jesus Christ story to tell you. Matter of fact, I have the one who nevertheless thy word. I didn't think it would work. I di it didn't make any sense to me. But he spoke to me, gave his word to me. And so I listened. <laughs> and I've never seen it the way he can do it. I've never seen anything in his life compared to the way Jesus Christ can affect my life. Fish story to a God story. So let me just ask. What's the Lord spoken to your heart about that's going to require a little effort? How much of our lives is lived as nevertheless living? Oh, we've said yes a bunch of times, I imagine. 
If it's not, it doesn't require a whole lot, sure, yes, I will. Sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we have difficulty doing the stuff that doesn't require a whole lot. But I'm guessing that in each one of our lives, the Lord has spoken to us about something that it is going to require some dependence upon Him for us to do it. It is going to require us getting beyond ourselves and humbling ourselves before Him and saying, God, I don't know how this is going to work. Personal story and I'm done. Twelfth row right back there. Thereabouts. Lord convicted my heart. <laughs> I'd been married for a month. My wife, oh, I, I pity her. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know why? She married somebody that she thought was going to be finishing up law school, becoming an attorney, becoming a prosecuting attorney. And about a month after we were married, the Lord convicted my heart to become a gospel preacher. Yay! My husband. <laughs> He's going to go from driving a convertible red sports car, making a lot of money being an attorney, to gospel preacher. You know why that happened, though? And honestly, I remember battling with it. God, I can't do this. <laughs> we have bills to pay. <laughs> I like my car. <laughs> well, my wife, this is also sad. My wife got married. I had hair. <laughs> now she's stuck with this. <laughs> but this isn't going to work. I have plans. I know what I want. This is what I'm going to do. But at a moment, eventually I came to a place and I said, even though I don't understand this, even though it makes no sense to me, even though I don't think it's going to work, I'm going to trust you. We ended up heading off to Bible college and went into the gospel ministry. That's not for everybody. But nevertheless, living is for every single believer. For us to decide... I don't know how this works. But I don't deserve anything from you, Lord. I'm not worthy of any of it. And even though I'm not jumping up and down with lots of faith here and trusting you and ready to jump across a mountain or across a cliff or whatever because I'm going to trust you, I'm willing to say, okay. I'm willing to say, because you've said it, because you're convicting my heart, because your word has pointed me in this direction, because this is what is right before you, because... Here it is. Because this is your will. This is your want. Okay. Little obedience doesn't require a whole lot. When it requires extra effort, it truly takes us humbling ourselves to be able to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our hearts and lives. So how's your nevertheless living? Only you and God know. How's your humbling? How's your humility? How's your willingness to even say, God, 
I can't but lower myself before you. Are we willing? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. I'm going to simply ask you to do this. I don't know how God might have used the message. I don't know how He might have spoken to your heart or what it is that you're dealing with. But after we pray, we're going to stand. And sing a song of invitation as is customary, as is normal. But as you stand, I'm going to ask you, if God has spoken to your heart about something, let's make this our nevertheless moment. Don't grab a hold of that pew. Don't wait and see if somebody else comes forward. Don't wait and see what's appropriate for you to come forward at what time. Let's just trust the Lord. Let's just say, God, I'm going to answer. I don't know all the ramifications. I don't know all the details, but I'm going to say, okay. Lord, help us. You know what's needed. If you've worked on hearts already, don't have to belabor the point now. Deal with us. Help us to respond. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.